Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of Genesis and the Gospel reading of John, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I had someone ask me last night, why are Christmas Eve services so much more popular than Christmas Day? I spent very little time looking up an official answer because it was between last night and this morning. But what I answered them, compared to what I found, doesn't seem that far off. My answer was and is tradition. There is the tradition that goes back to the idea that Jesus was born at midnight on Christmas Day. Since we have the shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. There is in some churches a tradition of having a candlelit midnight mass to celebrate the birth of Christ. And then some churches moved it back to 11.30 or 11 p.m. so that when you finish the service, you end on Christmas Day. And since December 24th is winter time for many people around the world, when the days are shorter, well, you can have a candlelight service that begins earlier in the evening, and you don't have to stay up until midnight. And then you can take all of the holiday to actually celebrate Christmas Day with family. But you can also take part in the holiday of actual Christmas Day to celebrate with your church family. As you have done today. And to that I say, God bless you. Now is what I told you all just true? Well, certainly the last part. You've come this Christmas Day and many of you were here last night. And since we have the tradition of Christmas Eve being such more largely attended, it sometimes can almost feel like a little bit of a letdown to look around and see not very many people here today, especially if you happen to be at the earliest service. And you might also think, well, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, I mean, we're going to be celebrating the birth of Christ, so how is this service going to be any different? I mean, we're probably going to hear about Jesus being born and why he came for us, right? So why do I need to come two days in a row, right? Right? It's true. We are going to talk about the birth of Jesus and why he came for us. So let's dig in, shall we? Today, our journey doesn't begin with a Virgin Mary and a carpenter named Joseph. Our story begins with a Virgin Eve and a loser named Adam. Oh, did I just call Adam a loser? Sorry, not sorry. After all, he's really the reason we're here in the first place. Because he didn't do his job of protecting his wife Eve, who... I'm not entirely sure if she's a virgin or not at this point. It just sounded good. But I do know that they don't have any children yet. In Genesis chapter 3, Eve is tempted by saying to eat the fruit that God told them not 
to eat. But technically, when God gave the command to not eat that fruit in Genesis chapter 2, Eve hadn't been created yet. So Adam was tasked with passing on that information, that command to Eve. But why Adam is a loser is because we often put the blame on Eve for being the first one to take the fruit and eat it. And that's true. But God's word is very clear that after she eats it, she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. The whole time, Satan is tempting Eve, saying, you will not surely die. Adam just stands there and does nothing. And having been given the responsibility to care for his wife Eve, when God calls them out in the Garden of Eden after they eat the forbidden fruit, he doesn't call them out. God calls out Adam, not Eve. Adam. Because Adam is responsible. And Paul tells us in Romans that sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. So thanks to Adam, sin has entered our world, and along with sin, death. You might remember this fall, we were looking in the book of Hebrews, and in chapter 11, we get to this thing that we call the Hall of Faith, where we hear about a number of people who exhibited faith that they are recognized for. So each person that's mentioned, we hear how they are commended for their faith. It's like a Hall of Fame for the faithful followers of God. But before we get to the Hall of Fame in the Bible, which actually starts with Abel, we see the wall of shame. And the first ones that are put there are Adam and Eve. And in their shame, they cover their naked bodies up with fig leaves. The naked bodies that once brought no shame to look at are now a source of dishonor. Adam and Eve become the first sinners on earth. The ones who ruin it for the rest of us. Who brought sin and death into the world. And since then, life has never been the same. You could say that from that moment, the darkness of sin and death has covered the world. And it has covered our lives. Because... I mean, even though Satan had told Eve that she wouldn't die if she ate the fruit, God had already told Adam that he would. Satan, the father of lies, was wrong. God was right. But Adam and Eve aren't the only ones found in the darkness. We are sinners just like them. And we can find our picture on the wall of shame. Because we have all sinned. And we bear the responsibility for our sin. We have all heard the commands of God and said, well, I hear what you said, God. I know what's right and wrong, but 
this thing that you said not to do is really appealing. It's pleasing to my eyes. I'd like to give it a try. I'd like to indulge myself a little bit. Because even though you say it's harmful to me, it doesn't really look that harmful. And also, there's a talking snake who's telling me I'm not going to die, and he seems pretty trustworthy. I'm going to do it. And then we do that thing. And whatever that temptation is for you, sexual immorality like lusting, lying, stealing, gossiping, hatred, greed, jealousy, dissension, envy, selfishness. In that moment, we indulge ourselves. And we do the thing God told us not to do. And we take it and we eat it. And then, I'm not dead. But you said I'd die. Hey, everyone, take a look at this. Check it out. This is good stuff. And before we know it, oh, I don't feel so good. And then we get the guilt and the shame and the realization that we're in the darkness. And shoot, God was right. And the realization isn't just that we're in the darkness. It isn't just that we've sinned, that we're sinners. It isn't just that we will die, that we will suffer physical death here on this earth. I mean, sure, maybe not in this exact moment, but it will come for us one day, however. The realization is also that our punishment is eternal death. It's hell. And that's the one thing the sneaky serpent forgot to mention. That as the father of lies, he already knows what hell is like. And he doesn't want you to know about it. He doesn't want you to believe in it. Because he doesn't want you to think that your actions have consequences like death. Surely you will not die. And he doesn't want you to think that your sin <clears throat> leads to death and hell. Surely you will not suffer hell. It's not real. Believe me, I would know. God will not condemn you for whatever you do on earth. But it is real. And he does know. <coughs> Excuse me. That apple got me. And he wants to keep you in the darkness of sin and death and hell. Because that's what sin does. It gets you in the darkness. And it wants to keep you there.
but even in the darkness of sin and death, there is light. Just like there was for Adam and Eve. Because while sin and death has now entered the world, because of them, God speaks to the darkness. He speaks to the sin and death. He gives a promise, which is part of the curse to the sneaky serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. If you joined us during one of our Wednesdays, Wednesdays in Advent, we did go over Genesis chapter 3. And you'll know that I like the NIV version better because bruising just doesn't sound as impactful as striking the heel and crushing the head. But this verse is the first gospel. This is the first good news of great joy that's given, that first promise of a Savior who is going to come. It is that first bit of light in the darkness. And from that day forward, God continues to speak to sinners. Sinners like Adam and Eve. Sinners like me and you. And he spoke through the prophets. Speaking light into the darkness. Giving his promises. And the people keep expecting, anticipating the Messiah who was going to come. You hear a number of these from Isaiah, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. God continues to speak to the darkness and continues to give his light, his promises, until one day he stops. He stops speaking through the prophets. For about 400 years. Until a light shines. It's the announcement of the angels. To the shepherds. It's the wise men. Who follow that star. It's John who prepares the way for Christ to come. As we heard in the gospel reading. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. He goes before Christ and gets the people ready to hear what Christ is going to say. And when we see Jesus start his earthly ministry, we find that the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Jesus came to his own people, but his own people rejected him. This was prophesied by Isaiah. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as from one whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. And because it was prophesied, it was all a part of God's plan. Now, I may have called Adam a loser earlier, but Jesus actually becomes a loser for us. At least it looks like that, as he loses the battle 
as he's nailed to the cross. As Isaiah goes on to say, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Jesus becomes a loser for us. He allows himself to be arrested, beaten, mocked, and nailed to a cross. And in the eyes of the world, Jesus goes up on the wall of shame. Because crucifixion is a shameful way to die, reserved for the worst of sinners. But what's really happening is Jesus is going up on the wall of shame in order to take us down from it. On the cross, he takes all of our shame and all of our guilt and all of our sin and he puts it on himself. And he dies for us because it was the only way to save us. It was the only way to bring us forgiveness of sins once and for all. It was the only way to defeat Satan, to crush the serpent's head. It was the only way to destroy death. And it was the only way to get rid of the darkness. And he did it willingly, gladly, because he loves us. By his wounds, we are healed. And it seems like Jesus the loser is buried in a tomb and it's over. But he rises on the third day as the victorious one showing that he has won the forgiveness of our sins and our salvation. And as he is the light of the world, we see that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light of Christ casts out the darkness of sin and death. And we go from the wall of shame to the hall of faith. Because we have been given the gift of faith by the Holy Spirit. And it is by believing that we have eternal life. Why do we gather for worship on Christmas Day? Not because of tradition. But because we celebrate the light shining in the darkness. And what better time to do it than in the light of Christ's birthday. Because the light shines in us. And all of the things that we go through in this life, our struggles, our pains, our hardships, God knows them all. And he shines on us. He shines in his church. He shines in the waters of baptism. He shines through the word. He shines in the words of absolution. He shines through the bread and the wine as he brings us his body and blood for our forgiveness, life, and salvation. Jesus, in his death and resurrection, proves that he is the Savior that was first promised in Genesis. That he is the true light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't stand a chance. Not on Christmas. Not ever. Amen. And the peace of God which passes all understanding 
Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our light of the world. Amen.